Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. With us for the Weekly Standard is Bill Crystal. And Bill, I know that the members of ISIS are are thankful this Thanksgiving that America doesn't have a larger solar panel fleet after to, to come after them with now that President Obama's announced that the way to really stick it to the terrorists is to attend a conference on climate change. You know, I think Obama's statement yesterday with President Hollande of France when he he sort of asked actually the president, I'm going to make a little longer statement than usual. And then he just went on and on. And you really thought, really? I mean, Paris is attacked by the Islamic State. Uh, Obama expresses solidarity with the French and then drifts off into basically lecturing Americans that they need to be nicer to uh, refugees. And, it's, and, and he's very proud that we're having this climate change conference in Paris next week. And what about actually like doing something about ISIS? There's not, not a lot of talk about that. It was interesting. He, he never once in his statement used the word war, Obama. Mm-hmm. I noticed that. Uh, and he never mentioned, used the, he never used the word Islam. So we're fighting a war against radical Islam, but the president of the United States won't call it a war and he won't mention radical Islam. Otherwise, we're really, we really know what we're doing, you know. Well, wait till that fleet of armored Priuses from General Tom Steiner comes up uh, into Syria. Boy, I tell you, ISIS is going to be regretting that they took this guy on. What's so distressing is we're so strong, obviously, that um, it wouldn't take that much, really, to, crun- to, to crush them and to give them a huge setback. And I think Bush showed this. He made all these mistakes in Iraq. The, the, the precursor of the Islamic State, al-Qaeda in Iraq, uh, really took off after the Shia, there were Shia death squads you know, fomented by Iran. Uh, Bush in his second term wasn't that strong in many ways, nearly as strong as we would have, many of us would have liked. Uh, even so, just with the surge and just with a basic you know, attitude of an American president that, you know, God damn it, we're not going to just retreat, go away and uh, let our enemies win, we did pretty well. And by 2008, Iraq was in decent shape. Uh, Syria was an unpleasant place, but stable. And then there was actually a kind of healthy civic rebellion in Syria by 2011. 2009, there was a civic rebellion in Iran. Things were going in the right direction at the end of 2008. And this president, I just think historians will look back at this president's eight years and just be astonished at the uh, amount that was squandered and the, uh, the, the, the extent to which our enemies unfortunately got stronger. You know, sometimes you hear in Bill Clinton's comments about his presidency that he almost regrets that it wasn't a more newsworthy time. Because the fact is that the Clinton presidency won't be remembered for anything except his personal foible because right. nothing really happened, you know, in that period. And he didn't really accomplish anything. There's no great Clinton accomplishment, you know, a tax hike and, and a, a, a reform of welfare that he opposed. And you wonder what Democrat or Republican another president would do with this moment where the Russians and a NATO ally are you know, shooting at each other and where this terrorist force has managed to create an actual country within two countries, you know, about the size of Belgium. I mean, these are grand uh, national issues, grand ideological, ideological issues, grand military issues. And yet you have a president who I swear it's almost like they had to wake him up to get him to show up to stand next to the president of France less than, as you just pointed out, two weeks after this massive attack in the heart of Europe. Is he just dis- disinterested or am I missing something? Well, he's very ideological. You know, someone said this to me this morning that, you know, we just all underestimated even people who thought he was quite ideological, just how ideological he is and how much part of that ideology is not sending American troops to fight in the Middle East and how much of it is hoping that multinational organizations and diplomacy will take care of things and how much of it is a new orientation towards Iran, which is going to, you know, bring peace and 
and uh, stability to the Middle East, except it turns out the Iranians have simply pocketed, uh, pocketing all the gains from the very bad deal we negotiated and are busy you know, launching cyber attacks on the U.S. government and, and doing everything they want to do to cause trouble in the Middle East. Uh, so I, I think we all under people in America. I, I find this myself. We all underestimate the follow the power of ideology and coloring people's views of things. You know, they just distorting people's views of things. So you say, well, isn't he? Shouldn't he be mugged by reality? Shouldn't he realize what's happening? Shouldn't he adjust? And I just think he's got a very firm worldview, and he, he certainly doesn't seem to ha- show any sign of changing it. That's really striking, isn't it? I mean, Carter, after the Soviets invaded Afghanistan and after the Iranians took the hostages in late '79. Um, I guess it was the Iranians took the hostages in November, the Soviets invaded Afghanistan in December. He did change. He mm-hmm. basically acknowledged he'd, been, he'd made mistakes. If you look at the State of the Union in 1980, the last year of the Carter presidency is pretty different from the first three years, big increase in defense spending and so forth. Uh, Obama shows no signs of changing. And didn't he give us Volcker at the Fed? Am I remembering that correctly? I think that's right. He and, brought and, us some tight But this is, this is what's so interesting about it. Once again, back to this... You know, Bill Clinton, like him or not, I think he really wanted to be president and that if he were a lo- you know, in, in, president and you had this tumultuous moment, he'd be doing stuff, even if you thought it was the wrong stuff. And I, I just as we end up this year and you're thinking about the real priorities of your life, which, of course, are not politics, they're your family and your nation and, and your, your security and health. You just I just get a sense that there is we, we are missing a guy who wants the job of being president. And who likes acting and making decisions and knows that sometimes they'll go wrong, but you've got to, you know, take your best guess. And, yeah, I agree with that. There's a sort of – I don't know quite what he thinks the job of president is. It's to uh, reform the country internally, obviously, and uh, shake it out of its uh, foolish past ways, which were somewhat oppressive and and, uh, discriminatory and uh, bad in all kinds of ways. And – the same abroad, but you're right. Even from the even for someone like Bernie Sanders, you get the sense he would enjoy trying exactly. to turn this into a socialist country. I wonder how much Trump is being helped, both by I mean Bush. I think is the main thing that's helped Trump. Trump is the sort of naturally reacting uh, antibody to Bush. You know, the horror at a Bush Clinton race partly led to Trump. But I wonder how much the contrast with Obama helps Trump. You know, a super energetic guy who loves just being up there and talking and saying he's going to do this and this and challenging in his own way, you might say, conventional wisdom and the status quo and political correctness. So much the opposite of Barack Obama. I I, I agree. I also think another part that uh, Donald Trump highlights is, you know, the word leadership gets bandied around. And those of us who are Star Trek fans always point out, you know, that Captain Kirk wasn't as smart as Spock, but he was a leader. He had that hard to define quality. And I think Donald Trump is a big poorly quaffed sack of that quality of leadership. And the more President Obama refuses to lead, the more he just fuels the Donald Trump uh, fire. I've t- I have to tell you, Bill, I'm talking to people who are otherwise sane, who are, going, who are starting to look at Donald Trump because of the example of, of Obama and saying, you know, maybe, maybe this is the way to go. Yeah, I think that's right. Obama gives us always reasons why you can't do things. You can't do this. You can't do that. Mm-hmm. You have to do this because the UN says so. Uh, it's going to take anyway. This is going to take a long time. It's not going to be easy. And at some point, you want. I mean, some of that's true. Some things aren't going to be easy. But at some point, you want someone who's going to tell you what you can do, not what you can't do. And he spends an awful lot of time telling the American public their instincts are wrong. They're they're prejudiced their sense of what maybe America's role in the world should be. He's had to stop using the American public as an excuse. I think this is an important development in the last week or two. 
for, for years, the, the American public is war weary. We can't send troops abroad. We can't mm-hmm. engage. It's not my fault. It's not Barack Obama's fault, he says. It's George W. Bush's fault and those foolish interventions, or I guess one foolish intervention in Iraq by, by his light, uh, that, that sort of poisoned the well for, for, for American leadership by Obama's account. But now the American public, by two or three to one in these polls, says send more ground troops there if you have to. Let's crush the Islamic State. What's Obama's excuse for not doing it now? Now his excuse seems to be, and, and incidentally, the military wants to do more. Everyone wants to do more. His own Secretary of State wants to do more. His former Secretary of State, Hillary Clinton, now says she wants to do more. What's his excuse? I mean, I really, it is a little incomprehensible, uh, except that I suppose he thinks that if the U.S. does more, it'll just backfire and create more enemies and plays into the terrorist's hands. And if we don't let in every single one of the 10,000 that he arbitrarily decided we have to let in and that the U.N. will select... Uh, of the refugees, that plays into the terrorist hands. And if we do anything that's at all, you know, if we give some preference to you know, put first in line persecuted Christians from the Middle East, just we, just we put Soviet Jews in line in the past and, and other group, minority groups and, and uh, persecuted religious groups, that will itself make things worse. Everything will make things worse. You know, anything we, th- we think, anything energetic that we might do in accord with our customs, our traditions uh, and our history will just make things worse. It is the it would, if if he were a police officer, no one would ever get arrested because when you try to arrest people, they run, they fight back, they swing at you. So therefore, the act of arresting them is what caused them to be the criminals in the first place. And therefore, I guess based on this argument that we've been hearing all week, Bill, the uh, that's exactly exactly what ISIS wants. I know how we're going to trick ISIS. We're going to abandon our military entirely, completely dismantle it and hand over the Middle East to them. Then we'll put ISIS in their place after we, of course, put up these solar panels and the geothermal power. You know, I like your analogy. It's good. I mean, there is occasional police brutality. Let's say one in 100, one in Mm -hmm. 1,000 police arrests. And obviously it's better to stop it. But it is as if we told the cops to stand down because there have been one or two or six or 10 instances of police brutality. And those have antagonized people and and were unjust and unfortunate. Uh, And therefore, we're just not going to stop policing our community or our city. Mm -hmm. And in Obama's case, we're going to stop policing the world. And and uh, but look at the results. I mean, look at the results. And and it's not serious, as you say. It is not like Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton would have adjusted. He did adjust as president right. uh, to reality. He, he might have been late. He might have, uh, you know, covering, you know, thrown up a lot of smoke to cover up the fact that he had been a little slow in adjusting. But he would have done it. And then he would have taken credit for it when the exactly. adjustment went well. And with Barack Obama is he's a spectator at two world events. And has turned the U.S. In, amazingly, you know, the strongest country on the face of the earth, into kind of a spectator as things go downhill. And uh, people who are apolitical, like my lovely bride and uh, some good friends of mine in the private sector, uh, they it was interesting to me how they all reacted viscerally to that comment from the president about we're really going to put it to the terrorists. We're going to have a you know climate conference in Paris, and and they I mean out loud it was like oh. You can't, that can't be. You couldn't say that. And I, did, I think that he's gone so far away from kind of the vision people have for a president of the United States that it, it's going to be very difficult for him to hide it using the usual political channels of sending out Josh Ernest to, to blow smoke. And I also think it's going to be difficult for Hillary Clinton to escape the impact of his legacy. I thought before, eh, it was only four, you know, four years, a long time. People forget, as you know, Bill. Etc. But she really is going to be the third term of Barack Obama, no matter how she tries to craft it. And this I think it's even harder now for her to get escape velocity from that weight. 
Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, if you look at Obama's approval, disapproval numbers, they've really taken a hit in the last couple of weeks. He's now, I think, at about a 43% approval on average, 52% disapproval. And incidentally, Hillary Clinton's numbers in the matchups with Republicans have taken a hit. It's got to be related. Uh, I think it will be easy enough to make the case that she is Barack Obama's third term. And it's really true. She was Secretary mm -hmm. of State for four years, and she signed off on all these policies or was part of all these policies that have produced the results that we're now seeing. And if she had real objections to Eddie in the three years since she's been Secretary of State, she's sure been keeping it to herself right. because we haven't, we haven't exactly watched her dramatically break with the president on the Iran deal or on the, how to deal with uh, the Islamic State or any of these things. So I think it's a very legitimate argument. It's why Republicans should win in 2016 if they nominate someone who uh, is electable. So let's conclude with uh, that then. You know, Donald Trump continues to dominate the polls, and yet I still hear smart people like you say, ah, he's going to go away, he's going to go away. And uh, I don't see any evidence of it. Meanwhile, Ben Carson does appear to have started his uh, trajectory. I, I'll be honest, I would not be surprised if by the first of the year he's in single digits in kind of a forgotten, you know, kind of a Herman Cain, you know, former story from earlier in the year. Uh, do you agree with those two assessments? And then who are the people that have caught your eye as we head into the holiday season? Yeah, it feels that way now, but obviously we've all been so tricked, you know, tricked up so many times that I, I'd hate to you know, assume that the way things look in late November is the way it'll look in late December or late January. We still have more than two months before anyone votes. Mm -hmm. uh, February 1st, I guess, is the Iowa caucus. Yeah, it looks now as if Carson is fading a little bit. Uh, Trump is holding his 25 to 30 percent pretty, pretty, pretty well. And um, I still don't think he'll be the nominee. The two who seem to be coming up are obviously Ted Cruz and Marco Rubio. And I think it's an outside chance for one more person to sort of get into the final three, four, or five. That could be Jeb Bush, I guess. I don't believe it. But there are an amazing number of people in Washington who still think that there's a kind of Bush scenario. I should think Christie would have a better chance to be kind of the tough guy who knows what he's doing. He's a prosecutor. It's not, that's at least a kind of cousin for being commander in chief, you'd say. You know, he's dealt with terrorism related issues as a prosecutor in New Jersey and governor of New Jersey. Uh, so I think Christie has an outside shot. Um, Cruz and Rubio, I think that'll be interesting to see them go at it. And I don't know which one ends up. I mean, you can end up with Cruz, Rubio, Trump. That would be a pretty interesting threesome. Not, mm -hmm. what, we, not, what, one, not what one would have predicted back in uh, back six months or, or 12 months ago. That's, uh, that's for sure. I'm surprised how often I keep coming back and looking at Chris Christie again. And I think it's because he's a talented politician. He's just good at this. And also because Marco Rubio hasn't filled that space that could be there. That's kind of, you know, political space. Why hasn't Rubio sucked up everybody, you know, to the left, if you, you know, bad analogy, but to the left of Ted Cruz? Why not? Well, because I think here's I, I was thinking about this. And it's, of course, there's so many ways you can look at this and analyze this. But here's one way to think about it. What is the race has been missing something? Anyway. I mean, mm -hmm. you, when you get turmoil, uh, things going downhill around the world, things not so great at home. Typically, at least on the Republican side, one of the things voters have looked to is sort of someone who's been around, someone who's tough. It's the Nixon model or the Reagan model. The Reagan's the more ideological, conservative version of the model. But Nixon in 68, not personally very popular, had lost in 60, had lost the mm -hmm. California governorship in 62, but still sort of a tough guy who, who knew, knew his way around. There's no one playing that role this time. So there's a kind of huge vacuum in the race for, for the normal, older guy who's right. been in high office, whom voters may not love, or they may think Reagan's too conservative, they may think Nixon is tricky dick, but nonetheless, at the end of the day, he, they think, you know what, he'll know what he's doing in the Oval Office, and it'll be better than these liberals who are just running the country, you know, uh, 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 leading the country down the tubes. There's no figure like that. So 
in the absence of that, Trump comes up as kind of a populist uh, outsider version of it. Rubio tries to fill that, but he's a 44-year-old first-term senator, right. so it doesn't quite translate. Cruz tries to fill it, but again, he's not Reagan in various ways. Maybe one of them will fill it in the next two, three months. But in, in a funny way, it's a race that sort of wants to have an Eisenhower or a Nixon or a Reagan in it, and there isn't an Eisenhower or a Nixon or a Reagan. I My last Thanksgiving prayer goes out. Thank you, Bill, for not saying the name Mitt Romney in that rant, because I, I would have had to hang up on you, and that would have been very painful here as we that go into Thanksgiving. Been, I, I don't want to ruin your Thanksgiving, Michael, and Thank I want you, you and your family to have a wonderful Thanksgiving, so I'm glad I didn't We are going to have a great I'm, one. I did not inadvertently ruin it. Thank you. Well, we're going to have a great one because uh, I do the traditional Thanksgiving, and then my wife's mother is a magnificent Jewish cook, and so she does the Jewish Thanksgiving, so we'll have the turkey next to the brisket, and we'll have the sweet potato prawling casserole next to the Simmus, and I will be in a world of pain about five in the afternoon on Thanksgiving Day. Sounds great. Well, we'll have, we have a lot of family over, so we're looking forward to ours too. And uh, I want to wish happy Thanksgiving to all our listeners and, and to you and your family, obviously. Thank you so much, Bill. You've been listening to the Weekly Standard Podcast. Please be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. I'm your host, Michael Graham.